MLB Network recently came out with its top 100 players in the league list, and the Giants only had one representative, and it was at the back end of the list. So do I agree with that? What do we meet? What do we make of that? We'll get into it next. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked on Giants, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen. Every day, we are free and available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And where we get started is with some mailbag questions. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted a question. Once again, we got like 50 plus, and so we're going to make multiple episodes out of these. But uh, for today, where we start is with... Mike, no, excuse me, with, um, where do we start? Finn asking, did MLB Network get it right? Or should another Giants player have been on the top 100? And so I caught wind of this. I kind of saw, uh, they na- they named Logan Webb a top 100 player, but had him on the very back end. And the thing about these lists is that in baseball, guys go up and guys go down. And coming off a 107-win season, the Giants, you know, Brandon Crawford would have been in there. Logan Webb obviously would have been in there. I'm sure Kevin Gosman was still in there. Uh, and I'm sure there, Brandon Belt was probably going to be in there. And even Mike Yastrzemski, a guy like him, probably sneaks in there from time to time in certain years. And so coming off an 81-win season when not a lot went right, I'm sure Carlos Rodon was very prominently featured on this top 100 list. I did not pay too much attention. That's the thing is these MLB.com kind of top 10, you know, ranking this, ranking that. It's year to year. And if you're coming off a down year, you're not going to fare well. And and it's true of top 100 prospects lists as well. If you look at last year's top 100 lists by a lot of publications, you're going to see a lot of giants. You're going to see Luis Matos. You're going to see some, you know, Patrick Bailey on some. You're going to see there were others I'm even forgetting who were just featured on some top 100 prospects lists, and then it has you have a down year for your system, and then they're off the lists. And so, does it mean that the current thinking is the only correct and predictive way of thinking? No, it does not. And so, in terms of players right now, I mean, here's the thing: I would probably find a way to put Michael Conforto on that list. I mean, when he's been healthy and relevant, you know, because he missed all of last year. So they're going to have a hard time putting him on a top 100 players in the game list. But he's not old. And when he was kind of healthy and just having a typical Michael Conforto year, to me, he's pretty easily a top 100 player. I think Mitch Hanniger falls into that same category. If he's healthy, he's probably, I'm not saying like top 20, but I am saying at some point in the back 50 of a top 100 list. And you know, Brandon Crawford had a fourth place MVP season just two years ago. And so 
you know, he really should have been like a top 10 player a couple years ago. And so anyway, these are guys who are capable just because you're not on the top 100 in a given preseason list doesn't mean you're not capable of that kind of performance. So they have a lot of guys who are capable of that kind of performance. You know, Jock Peterson, I think probably maybe deserves to sneak into a top 100 list, although, you know, limited defensively and limited by the fact that he's a platoon player. And then I just wanted to make one more point here. Also that Camilo Duvall, to me, he's a top five, top 10 reliever, probably not top five, but top 10 reliever. And I don't know if that deserves to be in the top 100 players overall. Maybe not because they're so limited in that they don't pitch a ton, but amongst that position, he's very good. But I think the Giants are probably among the leaders in the players between number 100 and 200. Top 200 players list, they'd have a lot of guys. Like They, they don't have bad players, really. They have a lot of solid players, but they it's obvious they don't have like that true impact elite player. But guys like Conforto, there's another question about their the upside of the new players and the downside. Uh, like what is their realistic floor and ceiling? And we'll get to that later. But guys like Conforto and Hanniger have the potential to easily be top 100 players in the game. And Webb, of course, belongs there. And Cobb, I, I would actually have him in there right now based on the peripherals of what he did last year. Anyway, I could talk about this forever. But the next question comes from Mike, who says, has uh, Manny Machado has played quite a few games at shortstop. Could he be the big acquisition next offseason? to take over for Brandon Crawford, assuming Luciano is better is a better fit for third base? How many other teams would offer him the shortstop position if he wanted it? And this is an interesting way of thinking about it because, you know, just yesterday and in recent weeks, we've been looking at next year's free agent class. Clearly, the Giants are willing to shop at the top of the market. I get it. They didn't come away with any of those guys. It's very disappointing. I'm not going to make I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's disappointing. But the the good thing is they try. Not every team is involved in these types of talents uh, when they're, you know, free agents. But for Machado, so the thing is, he's a big guy. I mean, he is 6'3". He's listed as 218, but I would imagine he's more than that. And he's getting older, obviously, as we all are. And so I don't love the idea just from a pure... Uh, yeah, when I look at his kind of career defensive numbers, he's at minus 11 defensive runs saved in his career at shortstop, plus three outs above average. The ultimate zone rating number is also negative, though, whereas at third base, although he's kind of slowed down a little bit, and by defensive runs saved, he was actually minus three in 2022 with the Padres, uh, plus eight outs above average. This is an example of the metrics not always agreeing, but just overall, he's been and the eye test. I do watch the game. Some people like come at me when I talk about defensive metrics. The thing is, I don't watch every single Padres game. I watch only typically the games when they're playing the Giants. And so imagine if it's an American League team, you barely ever see the guy. Is it better to just judge your evaluation based on the like three games a year you might see them play? I know you're watching other games too, but come on. I mean, you're not watching 162 games of every single major league team every inning. It's just impossible. And so the metrics kind of help clarify whether or not we should trust what we're seeing with our eyes or be a little more skeptical or whatever. But anyway, I don't see it as a great possibility because he's already not been great defensively at short. He's a big bodied player and I just... 
But it's interesting because the Giants have a need at shortstop. It's Brandon Crawford's last year of team control. He's a free agent at the end of the season. He's going to be 37 going into 2024. And so like bringing him back makes a lot of sense on like a one-year deal as a transitional year, maybe for whether it's Luciano or somebody else, maybe Casey Schmidt can be a shortstop and not a third baseman. And maybe that solves some questions for you, but maybe, yeah, offer him shortstop for a couple years at least. And then say, eventually we'll probably want you to slide back over to third, but you can play short for now. That would be interesting. But you know, defense has been a problem for the Giants. It was a problem, obviously, in 2022. And I'm not sure you want to take away from a guy's premium position, The guy, uh, take away from the fact that he plays a premium third and put him at a position where he's less impactful defensively. But the bat is so special that, I mean, he would still be a great player, even if he was a subpar defensive shortstop versus a good defensive third baseman. It's an interesting balance because shortstop's more valuable when you can hit there, but he's better at third. And so it's like, what's more valuable? And the fact that teams have tried him at short, but then kept him at third, ultimately kind of tells me what my gut is, which is that it's better to just play him at the position where he's great, even if shortstop, there's more of a premium on the offense that he provides. Anyway, it's kind of complicated, but it's an interesting thought. And coming up in just a minute, we're going to take a look at another kind of way of thinking about the other top free agent Shohei Otani I've mentioned hey he's half a pitcher why are the Giants going to give him a 10 plus year deal when they won't give five or six years to Carlos Rodon well deposed royalty has a suggestion so we'll get into that suggestion in just a minute but before we do this episode is brought to you by Built Bar are you looking for a delicious treat but you don't want all the fat and calories you've got to try a Built Bar we just got through the holidays And I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. And if you're like me and you want to eat healthier, but you don't want to compromise taste, then I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. We're talking delicious flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond with incredible macros in a typical bar, just about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar to go along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box. You can go to Walmart, go to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a 4-bar box of uh, cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And you can go to Sam's Club and grab a 13-bar box with hit flavors, brownie batter, and churro. Mmm, you can thank me later. All right, here we go. We are going to get to more questions and answers. The next one coming from Deposed Royalty, who says, If the Giants sign Otani to a big contract, why can't Otani pitch for five years and then move to the outfield for the rest of his career? Judge makes an insane amount playing the outfield. Why not Otani? By the way, thanks for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. So this is something I've been thinking about as well. I'm assuming you've heard me talking about my concern or just like skepticism about the Giants going all in on Otani when he's... I've seen some people say like he's half a pitcher and half a position player and therefore he's going to get like double the contracts of the best pitchers you know combine the contract of the best pitcher with the best hitter but as a hitter he's a dh and that is just so limiting in terms of your value and so where my concern comes in is i'm like okay i mean he's valuable as a hitter but if he just like couldn't pitch anymore and also just 
couldn't play the field and he was just a DH, he's not he's not getting a huge contract. That's the the kind of thing to note here is that you you're just there's so much negative value to not being able to play in the field. And you might say he does play in the field. He's a pitcher. It's a different deal. When he hits, he's the DH. And so it's really like combining an elite DH with an elite pitcher. And so more of the value arguably comes from the pitching side because he's a great pitcher and just being a DH is not that valuable, even if you're great. I mean, look at, I mean, Nelson Cruz in his heyday, he was a great hitter, but it, did he ever get a $300 million contract? No, he was getting, you know, I don't remember exactly, but like $60 million contracts to be a great offensive player. So it's more like combine that with the contract you would give to a great pitcher, like a Carlos Rodon or something. And I don't know. I mean, even if you combine those things, that comes out to a like 300 million something dollars or even 200s. But I do think Otani ends up like the comparison to me, just the overall value is similar to Aaron Judge, just like best player in the game territory. Keep in mind, Judge won the MVP. And so the writers decided that Judge's season last year was more valuable than Otani's, even though Otani was great at hitting and pitching. And I agree, like wins above replacement, which does a fine job of kind of combining the value of each element of Otani's game, says that Judge was actually better. And a lot of that comes from defensive value of Judge playing in the field when he's in the lineup. So anyway, the question from Depose Royalty is like, because I'm saying I don't think the Giants, if they won't give five years to Kevin Gosman or six years to Carlos Rodon, Otani, so much of his value comes from pitching. Why are they going to give him over 10 years, which is what he's almost certain to get when he reaches free agency next offseason? And the question is, okay, think of him like a pitcher for five years or four, whatever, and just assume his arm breaks down. But then assume if that happens, which is obviously a fear and not necessarily a reality, but the Giants have that fear, apparently, because they're not out here trying to get Gosman or Rodon to return. And so uh, if you just imagine, okay, let's say his arm breaks down, can he play in the field? Because that would dramatically change the calculation. If he can, he's such a good athlete. I mean, this guy can really, really run. And I mean, he's probably not going to want to give up pitching. That's part of the equation is like, but I mean, if the arm wore down and the performance suffered and and you just kind of transitioned him to the field I don't know if he could play the outfield he's kind of a he's really tall but he's really fast I think and he's got a great arm I mean he could play right field to me probably pretty easily but he hasn't done that that's what the Giants were going to have him do when they tried to sign him and the DH wasn't yet in the in the National League but I think yeah get creative if if you view him as a guy who would be capable of being a good defensive outfielder then I agree with you. I mean, he is Aaron Judge in that regard. He can really, really hit. And if he could play the field as a kind of fallback option, if the pitching breaks down over the span of a deal that's likely to be 11, 12 years or more, then that would mitigate some of that risk. And then I could see, I don't see him getting over $500 million, but I see him getting, you know, 400 to $500 million, somewhere in that range. And so that's obviously a huge one. And the Giants figure to be kind of in that sweepstakes. So it'll be something to monitor all year long, assuming the Angels don't extend him. If they have a bad year, do they trade him at the deadline? If they do, are the Giants involved? And then if he reaches free agency, which is my assumption, then what's going to happen? 
Anyway, the next question comes from Ryan, who says, what are some realistic floors and ceilings for guys who are new to this 2023 team? And it's a good question. Uh, and let's start with the hitters, the new hitters being Michael Conforto and Mitch Hanniger. And I've said this a lot, but uh, basically Conforto was not one of the top 10 players in the game, not even probably top 20 players, but probably like a top 30, top 50 player in Major League Baseball when he was at his best with the New York Mets. Uh, the Ryan Finkelstein, host of Locked on Mets, when the Giants first signed Conforto, I was like, what, what do I need to know about Michael Conforto? And what he said immediately was like, he was the Mets' best player in like every aspect of the game when he was right and healthy. And basically, he was right and healthy for most of the time he was there. And it was just the last couple of years where things kind of went south and he hurt his shoulder as a free agent last offseason and never ended up signing. But, you know, a realistic best case scenario or ceiling for Conforto is that he really, really hits. Uh, he's got pretty strong platoon splits in his career, a little bit below average offensively against lefties, but just a monster against righties. But, you know, this four year span from 2017 to 2020, he was, you know, 369 on base percentage, which is very, very healthy. Walk rate of 12.7%, isolated power of 230. So just power and on base. And he was a good defensive corner outfielder. And so that's that's the upside. It's just a really good offensive player who can also play good defense, maybe a little worse against lefties, but just a monster if there's a righty on the mound. In terms of Mitch Hanniger, he's a guy who has like less pronounced platoon splits and significantly better than average even against righties. And at his best, he is a guy who has, you know, he had a 39 homer season. I think that's kind of an outlier. I wouldn't expect that. But he's also had, I mean, from a four-year period, 2017 to 2021, he didn't play in 2020, 340 on base, 486 slugging, just a lot of power. Uh, a little bit more of a tendency to be aggressive at the plate, whereas Conforto is really, I don't want to say passive, but selective. Uh, and Hanniger has had good defensive seasons in the corners, but he's also had some rougher defensive season in, seasons in the corners. But at his best, he's just a really solid kind of grinder, everyday player who's who does a lot of damage with power and is pretty aggressive at the plate, but he's been known at times to be pretty darn selective as well. With both of these guys, the floor I think comes down to health and if they're not healthy then they're not playing and then the performance might suffer but you know they're very consistently above average offensive players if they're not healthy that might trickle down to the defense uh Hanniger has had some leg issues and so if they're healthy I mean the floor is pretty high I think like better than league average offensively is is still the floor and the ceiling is like way better than league average offensively and then the defense I'm very curious to see what they get out of these two guys with Stripling and Manaya new starting pitchers kind of the ceiling is in like the good Alex Wood good Anthony DiSclefani mold it's not a Carlos Rodon uh but it's like DiSclefani and Wood were really good for the Giants in 2021 and the floor is like last year's DiSclefani and Wood, which is injuries and or, you know, just poor performance. And in the bullpen, Taylor Rogers just has the upside. He's a strikeout guy. He's not like similar to Camilo Duvall necessarily, but just able to strike people out. Kind of a strikeout rate similar to Carlos Rodon, just strikeouts. And also throws a lot of strikes, but he has the floor is like 
he gets sometimes the average on balls in play is like worse than league average. And so there's like a kind of similar to what we've seen at times from Tyler Rogers, just balls in play. And it ends up being a hit more often than you would like sometimes. And so that's kind of the downside of a Taylor Rogers. But the upside is just, is, is just kind of like a dominant season from the left side with a lot of strikeouts. And there's also Luke Jackson who at his best, I don't know, at his worst, there's like command issues. And at his best, there's a lot of strikeouts and somewhere in between. I would generally like expect all of these guys to probably land somewhere in between. But of course, some probably hitting on their upside scenario and some on their downside scenario. But they're all overall just quality players. There's no doubt about it. Quality major league players. So anyway, that's what I've got for the new guys on the team. The next question is going to be about the most aesthetically pleasing swing on the Giants. So I can't wait to get into that question in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app, which is safe, secure, and super easy to use, and then you can bet on everything, from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Currently, I'm checking out the, the odds on the Warriors versus the Houston Rockets, this game in San Francisco. Houston Rockets having a miserable season. So the Warriors, the spread here at minus 10 and a half with uh, the line at minus 110. And the Warriors, heavy favorites to win this game, minus 500. So that's a lot of fun. Always a kind of a good time when a bad team comes into town and you can beat up on them. So those are some of the odds you can check out. And you can... Combine bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay as well. So don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, as promised, we are going to get to some more questions and answers. The next one coming from certified Freddie Freeman hater. I like that. Who says, who on the Giants do you think has the most aesthetically pleasing swing? And I think there's no question here. And I'm going to give you a moment to think about it for yourself. And maybe you're thinking of players on last year's team, but I'm thinking of somebody not on last year's team. And that's Michael Conforto. I think you're going to love the sweet lefty swing of Michael Conforto. It is it has always been one of the more aesthetically pleasing swings in the game. I think fans are going to, you know, assuming he can be healthy, this is going to be a guy fans are going to want back in 2024. He's got the opt-out after one year. I have said, though, I don't see hitters in the same way I see uh, pitchers in that the Giants like seemingly won't give the long-term deal to some of these starting pitchers. Whereas if Conforto has a Conforto year and the Giants believe in him long term like that's the thing is there's less risk in my opinion with hitters than there is with starting pitchers if you look at the track record of starting pitchers uh throughout history getting kind of long-term guaranteed commitments they so often go really really south and sometimes they go well in a couple years and then the last many are not good like patrick corbin comes to mind man the disaster of steven strasberg con uh, steven strasberg's contract comes to mind both of those players on the Nationals, and it's 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 put them in a bad spot. And 
you know, they won the World Series in 2019, and now they're like the worst team in the league. And a lot of it has to do with the decisions they made to give these contracts to Corbin and Strasburg. And really, you could say, well, they should have spent that money on Bryce Harper, a position player. And so anyway, yeah, I think it's it's Michael Conforto after that. I mean, lefties have more aesthetically pleasing swings because they you know follow through and they're heading towards first base, whereas the righties, they swing and they're kind of then running to first. It just doesn't quite look as good. I think that's the reason why. I think Mike Yastrzemski has a pretty nice swing when he's at his best. If he's like chasing a ball in the dirt, obviously it doesn't look good. But if he kind of yanks one into the cove, it's it's very nice. But you're going to love the swing of Michael Conforto. Next question from David, who says, what makes you assume that we will sign Logan Webb to an extension? Why would Webb to a huge extension? Why would Webb agree, I assume, to a huge extension? Uh, excuse me. Why would Webb to a huge discount? Again, I assume why would Webb agree to a huge discount? Farhan, reputation, says otherwise. Okay, so first of all, when did I ever say I assumed that they would sign Webb to an extension? Never, ever said that. What I said is it's time to think about it and that you should try to do it if you're the Giants and that reports are that they are trying to do it. And why would Webb agree to a huge discount? Nobody said it's for sure going to be a huge discount is another element here. And the other thing is like... If you just are, if you walk that back a little and say, why would he agree to an extension? It's obvious. The reason you agree to an extension if you're in Logan Webb's position is that right now, all Logan Webb is guaranteed for his entire career is what he's already received financially in the past, which is not much because he's been pre arbitration. So he's made probably a couple million bucks in his career. And this year, they, you know, it's his first year of arbitration eligibility, and they agreed to a contract to avoid arbitration. And that contract was for what was it for? Four and a half million dollars. So he's probably made a couple million bucks, and he's going to make four and a half million this year. But if he gets injured this year or just like completely falls apart, he is not guaranteed a dime beyond this year's contract. And so why would you agree to an extension if you're web? It's more guaranteed money. And so for so for example, say they buy out the two extra arbitration years after 2023 and then they buy out one or two more free agent years after that. And so you, he'd be getting like 3, 4 or more or less. I mean it, it depends on what the extension would be, but guaranteed salaries. And so we're talking an extra I don't know, $50 million in guaranteed money that is not promised to him at this point, but it would be if he agreed to an extension. And so that's life-changing money. You're kind of set for life. The downside of your web is that if you wait it out and you get to free agency and you're still good, you can make more than that, but there's a risk from Webb's perspective. And I will also say, why would he agree? Because he's local. I know he grew up an A's fan, but he gets to live and play close to home and friends and family. And he has said he wants to be here and be a giant for life. And so that's an appeal. It might not be like, okay, I'll accept a 80% discount type of appeal. But the other thing is he's arbitration eligible. And so he's making for the next three years, counting this year, he's going to be making money less than his market value. That's just how arbitration works. And so if you're talking about a discount, it's going to be discounted because he's not a free agent yet. And that's just how the market works. Like if he goes year to year in arbitration, he's getting four and a half million this year, which is underpaying him. 
but that's just how it works. That's that's how the process works. Next year, he'd probably make, I don't know, $8 million or so, nine. Uh, and the year after that, maybe like 13, 14. And so all three of those years, he's actually being underpaid. And if you combine the three, it's a three-year deal for like $30 million, which is just underpaying a player of his caliber. But that's just how it's going to work if he doesn't agree to an extension. And so that would be kind of built into the extension. So you'd kind of assume number numbers like that and then tack on a couple extra years. The team gets the certainty of getting the team gets more years of the player and the player gets the certainty of far more guaranteed money. That's why he would do it. And I don't know what what exactly you want to what you mean about Farhan's reputation. I mean, maybe they just like going year to year, but also they don't want to lose this guy. And so I don't know that I agree with that. Maybe you tack on only one or two extra years on top of the three that are already that he's already under club control. The fact that they're ta- they're both sides are saying that they're talking about it tells me that it's certainly possible. So, yeah. Next question from Ferris, who says, any chance we could put together a trade package for Corbin Burns after the news came out about his messy arbitration hearings, leaving him a bit unhappy? Yeah, if you didn't see that, it was pretty, pretty entertaining stuff. I mean, entertaining is probably the wrong word, but he was not happy with how the arbitration hearings went down. And this is why we like to avoid arbitration. The Giants avoided arbitration with all like nine or 10 of their arbitration eligible players. So that's great. But for Burns, I've said this before, the Giants, I don't think are in a position to give up their entire top prospect kind of package. You'd probably have to give up Kyle Harrison to get a Corbin Burns. I don't think it makes sense given that Corbin Burns only has two years of team control remaining. As he gets closer to free agency, the cost goes down. And so I could see it when he gets closer, maybe next offseason or even, you know, trade deadline a year and a half from now. But for now, I just I, I think it that in the Giants position, their farm system kind of shaky when it was supposed to be stronger by this point. Now is not the time to just like give up your best guys for a short term asset. It just doesn't make sense to me, even though he's a great player. They need to hold on to Kyle Harrison. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Now make your second listen, Lockdown MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. Also subscribing. Uh, on YouTube. So, you know, it helps me out a lot. So thanks in advance and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again next week. We've got games this weekend. The Giants uh, playing the Cubs on Saturday. That game is going to be televised through the Cubs network. So if you have MLB.tv, you can check it out. I'll be watching. Can't wait to talk with you about it on Monday. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? 
Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.